You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 44 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And today we're coming to you from the Sachem Public Library's booth recording studio in Holbrook, New York. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our email subscription service on our webpage, thelibrarypros.com. And if you like what you hear, consider leaving a review on the service of your choice and tell a friend or colleague because word of mouth is how people learn about us. And please check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. So today joining us is Michael Jones. Michael joins us today from Southampton, England, UK via Google Hangouts. Michael is an assistant librarian at the University of Winchester and loves discussing social media content with regard to libraries. And we're going to speak with Michael today about the power of social media in libraries and conferences and in an academic college environment. But first, we're going to talk to you, Michael, about your journey in library land. So originally, you studied film and, and media studies for your bachelor's degree, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that was it's kind of, it was one of those things of, you know, this was back in the day in UK education where, you know, people could afford to go to university just because they wanted to go to university, whereas now, yeah, there's a lot more money involved in it. So students have to be, you know, very kind of thoughtful about what career path they want from their degree. So when I went to uni, it was just a case of going, well, ah, you know, I like film. I like media. Yeah, that, that sounds like a degree I could do. You know, I want to have a degree. I didn't have you know, a particular career plan after it. So I thought, yeah, I'll just do something that I'm going to enjoy for three years. That's pretty funny, actually, because my daughter actually <laughs> wants to study that. So, um, oh, that's a good foreshadow for you. Anyway, <laughs> no, but I mean, if you, if you studied something you love, it's always nice because you can make that transition to libraries. Yeah, yeah, no, and and, it, and you know, it's, it's been something that you know that I've, that I've used in in my experience in libraries. You know, one of the first things when I, I started working um, in 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 a, in a college was um, they introduced me to the film department there, and they said, "Oh, this is this is Michael. He's got a film degree." So I was then their go-to guy in the library. I used to go over and I'd do sessions for the students on um, you know on, on using the library for film studies. You know, way before I'd had any real kind of training in doing so, but that kind of you know that that connection um, you know really helped. Libraries are fantastic at using you for your experience on the outside as well, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right, Chris, do you know anybody that knows makerspaces, Chris? No, nobody at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, tell us a little bit about your library. Um, so, I, I currently work uh, at the University of Winchester. Um, it's a it's fairly small uh, university in in, uh, um, in sort of UK terms. Um, we've got about three hundred thousand books um, in the library. I've only been there for the last two months. It's a, it's a new job to me. Um, so prior to that, I worked in in a, a college library. So in, in the UK, um, colleges are, are something that the students go to before university, which I think you know are, are your colleges kind of thing. Um, and so you know, there, I was dealing with a much smaller kind of environment with about twenty three thousand books. So um, yeah, this has been quite a, a jump up. Um, for me in terms of size. Um, we serve about seven and a half thousand students um, and my particular role within the library is um, the university's famed for its teacher education and so I'm the liaison librarian for the education faculty um, and the bit that I look after in particular is we have what we call the school resources centre. So it's 
basically a, a library full of books aimed at kids aged from sort of five to 12 that the training teachers can come in and they take out all the materials that they don't want to go and use in their practice sessions um, in the classroom. So we've got all these you new know, fantastic um you know, sort of children's literature but then also like children's information books but then also um the sort of like the tools that they might want to use alongside those so like story packs and puppets um and construction kits and musical instruments and artist materials and things like that so it's it's a quite a unique kind of uh, thing to have in a university library Actually, it, sounds it sounds like a lot of fun right bob yeah it sure does yeah sure yeah no so actually it's great to merge into our next question you know um Tell us, um, you know, with your current position, you know, what does your day look like? You know, with, and tell us what your title, you told us what your title is, right? So, uh, yeah, so my title is I'm in a, uh, is an assistant librarian, um, yeah, and liaison librarian for the education, health and social care faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so my, my, my day kind of revolves around um, I'm in charge of ordering all the books for the, for the school resources centre. So, you know, going through, um, you know, checking uh, sort of the latest kind of children's literature magazines, just, you know, keeping up to date with, uh, with the latest releases and ordering what I think is relevant, getting classification for all the books that come in under my faculty. Um, Acting as a liaison with the members of staff, um, getting them, helping them to build their reading lists. Um, so we use a reading list um, software uh, called Talis Aspire, um, and so it's about them compiling their reading list to make sure we've got the relevant books that they want to be able to use for their subjects. Um, also, you know, liaison with, being a liaison with their students as well. So any student who comes in from that faculty knows to come and find me to ask me questions, and so giving them help with you know accessing uh, online journals and showing them how to search databases effectively um, and and things like that. But then also you know doing um, shifts on our inquiry desk. Um, all of the librarians get involved um, in having a go on that. So generally, you know, on, on a day I'll do at least an hour and a half. Um, up on the library desk um, and, you know, and be that kind of first point of contact for, for, for students um, and members of staff and members of the public coming into the library. That's pretty neat. So I guess <clears throat> tell us a little bit more about what the path is like in the UK towards librarianship. So here in the US to become a librarian, you need to study and receive a master's degree in library science. So what's it like over there? Um, yeah, it's, it's basically the same. Uh, so yeah, that was the, the path uh, that I took that most students um, will do a you know an undergraduate degree in a, in a subject of their choice. English and history does seems to be the most common one amongst um, librarians, uh, and and then most librarians tend to get a bit of experience uh, under their belt working in libraries, and then go okay yeah I, I want to you know become you know a qualified librarian, and so we'll do um, do a master's degree, um, and so yeah so that was yeah that was the the, the path that I took. Okay, so uh, did you? do a distance learning masters or did you attend a brick and mortar college how did you do it because a lot the trend um, now is is going towards the uh the, the distance learning stuff yeah so that's yeah i did distance learning from uh northumbria university which is uh in newcastle so yeah, in in uk terms it's as far north as you can go while still being um in the uk whereas we're about as south as you can be so it's as far away as i could go but you know in american terms you know it's just on the other side of the state for for you guys um so uh so yeah so i did yeah i did distance learning from there so everything was done um via the vle i did you know go up to the university um for a study day at the start of my dissertation um and to, to meet my dissertation supervisor um but yeah everything else was was all delivered via the virtual learning environment, via workbooks um, and, you know, online kind of discussion forums and things like that. And then all of our work was submitted um, electronically as well. 
Wow, I've never done that. Is it is that hard thing to do, like to stay disciplined and? Yes, um, that was my my big concern about doing. It. I put it off for for years because I was worried that I wouldn't have that self discipline to to be able to do that and um, keep on top of it. Um, but actually, my my work at the time um, in the end agreed to pay um, the tuition fees for me to do my master's. So that became my motivation because if I fail. <laughs> I was going to have to pay the college back £6,000, which I didn't have. So that, that became my <laughs> That's a very good incentive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a little different than mom and dad saying, oh, you failed, huh? And you don't have to pay that back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, so- but it worked, and, and it was great as well working in the library alongside that because actually, you know, I had the perfect space to be able to work. So what I used to do is one night a week, um, I'd, I'd stay on after work for four or five hours and that would be my, my study time. Um, yeah, and so having a, you know, that's what the library is for. And so I was using the library, you know, as a student, as well as a member of staff. It's kind of built in, right? It's, it's nice that you have that built in feature. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like having an apprenticeship in a way, right? Yeah, definitely. And and it meant that, you know, stuff that I was learning on the course, I was able to, to put into practice straight away um, in my job. And I know there are other people on the course who didn't have that, who were doing the course because they wanted to get into librarianship and they were struggling to find a job. Um, and I think they struggled much more with the kind of the context of a lot of the theory um, that we were talking about because they didn't have that practical experience of working in libraries. So, you know, my advice whenever anyone ever asks me about it is always to try and get some practical experience working in libraries before you undertake something like a, a master's. Well, I agree 100%. Um, so why don't we take a really short break, and when we come back, um, we're going to talk to you, Michael, about academia, libraries, social media, and believe it or not, the topic of the podcast job therapy, which I read the article, and I loved it. So uh, <laughs> we're going to get into all that in just a minute. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back with Michael Jones from University of Winchester in Winchester, England, UK. So, go ahead, Bob. First question. So, we first learned about you via Twitter uh, regarding a post about podcasting, and we thought you'd be a great person to talk to, and uh, and you've been a great person to talk to. So, you love social media and have written about the power of social media and its effectiveness. Can you tell us about your first experiences with social media? Uh, so, I think my first experience with social media, you know, in you know, in a personal kind of sense, was probably MySpace. Um, I was using that. I was, I was in a band at the time. And so we used MySpace for our band because that was the, the the kind of the dumb thing. Um, and then I, you know, as soon as Facebook became available sometime, I think must have been around 2004 in the UK, um, I, I got on board with that and was using that. And similarly, um, Twitter. Um, but I don't think I ever really used them that effectively until um, sort of later on. Uh, certainly when I was at university on my master's doing that distance learning, we had a Facebook group. Uh, for all of the people on the course. And that became absolutely vital for us to have that sort of space where we could have discussions between us and people go, I really don't understand this. And everyone go, oh, thank God you don't understand that. None of the rest of us understand it as well. And have that, you know, that kind of little space where we could all interact, which, you know, because we were all... Um, you know, across the country, there was even you know, the students on the course from from outside of the UK as well. So it meant we could really connect um, in that way. And then I started kind of using it professionally 
maybe five years ago um, in the library I was working in. We set up a Twitter feed for the library to share information and to promote the library to our students. Um, and then that was something I, I wrote about um, in my master's dissertation. And then I also started using it professionally myself maybe a, a few years ago. Um, actually my, my dissertation um, got turned into an article that was published in a peer-reviewed journal and I thought well I'm going to want to kind of you know promote my work and people might want to ask me so I don't want them finding me on Twitter that I use personally where I you know talk about football or you know, soccer as you guys call it um, <laughs> and uh, or yeah where I rant about politics or chat about the films that I've been watching I didn't want to have that mixed up with my professional so I set myself up a separate um, account which is the, the one you found me um, via on, on Twitter um, but where you know I solely talk about library stuff I only follow library people and so I've been yeah trying to use you know social media in that professional way similarly using um, LinkedIn um, as well which I occasionally use to to write little kind of you know blog posts and articles on also well, it is funny, too, because that's how, you know, Twitter is such a powerful thing. We talked about that when we spoke to Turbin and Doc. Um, yeah. You know, we were talking about the power of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's Twitter in England. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's an A at the end instead of an ER. Yeah. So we made fun of Sally and Amy about that. But yeah. um, it really is a powerful tool, especially on a professional level. Um, yeah, absolutely. So taking that social media step one one step further, um, you wrote that article about the use of social media at conferences. And, mm. you know, it can be a bit of an icebreaker, especially if the conference embraces that idea of the hashtag um, to keep up not only with the content of the programs, but to actually meet up with people. And you had talked about how difficult it was going to a conference on your own where you're kind of just meandering around because you don't have that that ability to make that, that contact with other people. Um so can you kind of expand what your experience has been and has it changed since conferences started using hashtags? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it was, it was something, you know, that for many years when working in, in further education in the college, it's not a sector in the UK where there's, there's very much money. So, um, there was no money for, for library staff to be able to attend these kind of big conferences that, you know, where you pay sort of like 250 pounds to, to attend for a day that, that just wasn't possible. So, our only option was to follow along on Twitter. So, um, you know, the, the conferences started using hashtags and, you know, and people would, would be live tweeting cool. through talks and things. It was a fantastic way for me to be able to, to keep up and actually, you know, gain some kind of you know, professional development without actually being able to go to these conferences. Um, but also it was a way for me to find out about opportunities to go for free, which is what happened last year. Um, the uh, NLPN, which is a, a, um, a network in the UK for, for new librarians and new information professionals, um, they had offered a free place um, to uh, a conference um, for for 10 people. And so I entered a draw and, and, and won and got to go to this conference. And yeah, as, as you said, about, I wrote about afterwards, that I had this kind of odd experience where I, I went there expecting to be chatting to, to loads of people and, and things, but actually my experience was kind of awkward and, you know, people kind of stuck together in their little groups. Um, and, you know, I didn't really know how to infiltrate that. And it actually spent most of it kind of stood on the fringes. But there was lots of other people um, who who were doing the same. So afterwards, I, I tweeted about this. Um, I, I wrote a little post on, on LinkedIn. And then um, all of that interaction I'd hoped I would have had in person, I had then had, you know, via social media instead loads of people mess me saying oh I, I feel absolutely the same you know I hate going to these things I don't know how to start talking to people but on social media that's so so much easier um and so it's something that's become almost a little bit of a crusade for myself and Joe Wood who runs the, 
Librarians of Lives podcast, um, which is a, a British pod, uh, library podcast. Um, the two of us kind of trying to take up this kind of networking mantle and trying to make it more accessible for people at conferences. And, and social media is a big part of that, saying to people that, you know, before you go to a conference, you know, check out the hashtag, see what people have been saying. Um, and also, you know, tell people via social media, I'm going to be going to this conference. This is what I'm interested in. Um, and it makes it so much easier. You know, I've had people since come up to me at events that I've been to and go, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. We've spoken on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and that's that's just a start. That's that comes in, that's, it's that little spark that you just need to get over that awkwardness um, of approaching a, a stranger um, at a professional event. Um, and so, yeah, so Joe and I have, have been working on a workshop um, that we, we debuted recently um, at an event to try and make that easier and to try and sort of uh, encourage people of different kind of uh, approaches to take to, to start in those conversations and actually you know, using the workshop um, as a way itself also to create conversations. We've been getting playful playing board games and doing jigsaws and things like that as ways of kind of sparking conversation. Well, isn't it interesting too? Because uh, I I just went to the Computers and Libraries Conference in uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, about a month ago, and not only is it interesting when you're following the hashtag in Twitter and you see people, because you you get those kind those people who just constantly are tweeting about whatever the conference, whatever you know program they're in. Yeah, and I find it interesting that because they're hopefully their their picture is there, you can actually find where they are and actually go and talk to them and find them and say, I've been following you on the hashtag. You know, you're doing a great job with covering some of the, um, the discussions that are happening and, and, and some of the, uh, the, the programs. And we actually um, were able to get a couple of guests for the podcast through that. So Twitter yeah. really kind of is like that anonymous breaking of the ice. Yeah, and, and one of the things that, that Joe and I have been trying to, to push is to conference organisers to get them to include people's Twitter names on their name badges. Everyone ha- gets given a badge when you go to these conferences that says who you are, where you work. But you know, just getting them to add your, your Twitter name, because you know, people might not know you as Michael Jones. People might know me as at that library man on, on Twitter. So if that's on my name badge, people might go, oh, I know you. I've, I've, I've read your tweets or I've spoken to you on, on, on Twitter. It's just something, you know, just really simple things like that just make it a bit easier. And what's interesting, too, is when you see uh, presenters at the end, you know, the last slide is usually their about us thing. And, yeah, yeah. they'll still have email, but email has yeah. kind of become kind of an old thing now, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, now they have their Twitter and their Facebook, but mostly their Twitter up, which I find, you know, fascinating because Facebook, yeah, there's a professional element to that, but it seems to be more social as opposed to Twitter. You can actually, you know, once you get past all the, the trolls and, and the, the ugliness of Twitter – you know, you can really develop it for um, for for a career. I think for me, for the thing with Twitter is that it's the ease of having multiple accounts that that you can you can shape. You know, like like I've done, you know, a professional side to Twitter and a personal side um, to Twitter. Whereas Facebook, it's not quite so easy to to do that. And yeah, there's much more of a merge um, of you know, it's, it's it's more social kind of stuff. I, I tend to use Facebook more to lurk than to actively engage with things. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So let's talk about social media as a tool for an institution uh, like your university library. So you've talked about the success or failure with connecting with students and social media. Tell us about your experiences with it and how it can or has changed. So this is something that I wrote about for my master's dissertation. Um, So the, the, the title of that was, it was something like um, the effectiveness of social media as a marketing tool for further education colleges in the UK. And so 
as I said, about five years ago or so, I set up a, a Twitter for the college that I was working at at the time, and we were you know, thinking of trying to use it to to get information to our students, um, to market students, but also you know to get feedback and to try and you know have that two way um, kind of conversation and engagement with our students. But a couple of months into it, we we had maybe twenty followers, and actually when you looked at those followers, most of them were other members of staff at the college or other libraries um, within the sector as well. Hardly any were were actually our students. So I started thinking about well actually is this something that the students are interested in is it something that you know everybody's kind of pushing this idea of yeah we should be on social media because that's where that's where our students are at all the students are using social media so you know the library needs to be on social media the college needs to be on social media but that's all well and good but you know are the students the young people going to buy into that and so um for my dissertation i carried out research by interviewing uh, sorry, uh, doing a survey with um, a bunch of librarians at other colleges um, I surveyed the students at the college that I was working at at the time um, and then also did like an observation of um, 20 Twitter feeds from other colleges and actually you know, the experiences of the other librarians were very similar to my own they've been struggling um, to get people to follow they really struggled with getting students to to engage um, when I asked the students you know what their opinions of it they were really kind of unwilling to follow um you know these kind of educational establishments um on on twitter they were worried about this kind of blurring of the the social and the academic divide yeah i think um some of them you know said in their responses that you know i don't want um the librarians knowing what i get up to at the weekend you're completely unaware that actually we don't want to know what they get up to at the weekend <laughs> that's you know, not something we're interested in the slightest um but they, you know, they were worried about this, this kind of, you know, blurring the boundaries um, of their academic lives and their social lives. Um, and you know, in, in observing the Twitter feeds, you know, we found that, um, you know, so many of the, of the tweets that people were sending were, were getting, you know, none, uh, you know, none or, or very little kind of engagement. And what the engagement they were getting was, you know, like our experience was from members of staff or from other libraries, rather than you know the people they're actually kind of aiming the tweets at. So I then started thinking about, okay, what's what's a different approach um, that we can take to this? And actually, you know, I still believe that social media is a great tool for for that purpose. Um, that it, you know, it can really serve that. So it was about trying to change the mindsets of the students and you know, saying to them, you know, this is how social media can be used. And so trying to introduce this idea of academic social media, trying to say to them, you know, like. Like you know, I was talking about earlier, like I've done with you know separating my my personal and my professional um, on social media, trying to encourage them to do the same with separating their social and their academic, um, telling them about how they can follow you know writers um, in the subject areas that they're studying, um, you know blogs and feeds, podcasts, you know vlogs and, and you know, videos on YouTube um, from from people who are experts in the subject areas that they're studying, and the information in that way comes to them rather than having to seek out kind of flips that traditional search model um and so you know that way they find information that they, they won't find via traditional search methods um also using apps I, i've heard you guys talking about it before i think on the turbot and duck um crossover you did about flipboard um oh and, yeah you, definitely. Know, you guys use that yourselves and yeah again introducing that to students and saying you know this is a way of information coming to you because you know the app does all the hard work for you you don't have to go search for information you just tell you know the app what you're interested in and you know, and information appears in a daily digest, and you know, and Twitter, if used in the right way, can serve that purpose as well. So, yeah, that was something you know, really kind of trying to push that that change of mindset for students um, of what the power of social media can be. Right, and I think you touched on before being able to feature 
um, those databases and things that they, the students may not really know about. And in the public library sector, it's really the same kind of thing. We have Ancestry and we have the EBSCO databases. And we have all these uh, – we even have something called BrainFuse where, you know, now math has become so hard for parents to help their kids with. We have uh, BrainFuse where you can literally yeah. log in and um, have a tutor at the other end of the, of the screen that can walk you through this complex algebra or this complex, ge- complex geometry question and walk you through yeah. it and hopefully get you through that, that question. So social media can be an extremely powerful tool to, yeah. uh, to, to feature those things and to let the patrons know, hey, this is here. This is here for you to use. The library has these subscriptions. Please use them. And I think the power of social media isn't so much – I mean – as much as it's about talking about what we're doing and what we're going to do and the fun stuff that we do, it's about the services we provide too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, so there's there's a a, um, a guy in in the UK who works. Uh, I think it's the whole university, Ned Potter, who is kind of you know, within the library. Where he's one of like the experts uh, on social media. And I went on went on a, a course um, uh, with him, and he was he was saying you know uh, about in terms of you know universities and and libraries tweeting um and you know using social media to market and saying you know that actually it's as important um to be tweeting about you know what you're doing as it is about what you provide and also you know saying something like only one in five tweets should actually be um about you know what you know kind of a marketing tweet the other tweets should be you know fun stuff should be you know here's you know here are the, the kind of the benefits to you or just asking you know asking your, your, your followers um a question and trying to get engagement that way um if you if you're constantly just kind of like barraging them with you know information um all the time then then that's going to kind of turn them off um it's about trying to create that that engagement create that community um which is you know what social media is so great for i smell another article for you the form- yeah. the formula of social media and libraries yeah, <laughs> the one. The, what's the one in five rule? I like that. That's a great idea. Actually, it's a great concept because I don't yeah, know if there's. The, I'm not sure the, if there's anything out there that that's formulatic like that. Hmm. Is that a word? So the, yeah, Ned, Ned Potter is the guy to to check out. He's got a really good blog, um, and that's yeah. So that was that was that's his idea that um, that he kind of pitched uh, to us. So yeah, so yeah, everyone, when take a look at Ned's work. He's yeah, he's 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 quite the expert on on social media. That's excellent. So taking what you studied in your undergraduate work with films and media, you've applied some of what you had learned in, uh, in using YouTube for training videos. Mm. I'm particularly interested in this for, for on two levels. One, because how much of what you, you learned in your undergraduate studies applied towards the YouTube end of it, and what have you seen in terms of usage um, with your stats when you when you go back and see how many people have actually viewed the um, the training videos um, so in terms of uh, usage of my undergraduate degree um, it probably was very little actually because it was uh, much more of a, a theory based course in terms of film studies it was you know, sort of more about film criticism rather than anything practical so there wasn't a huge amount of that um, that was used in, in terms of creating videos. And actually I also used uh, the tool that I used to create videos was something called Adobe spark, which is a, a free online tool from Adobe, uh, which actually allows you to create these videos that look incredibly professional and look incredibly fancy and look like you've got all these amazing kind of video making skills, but actually is no harder than putting a PowerPoint together. Um, yeah, you put in some, some, 
uh, some images, perhaps some videos, um, putting some text over the top. And then you choose a theme and it just kind of whizzes it all together. Um, and you can then record a voiceover over the top. Um, it gives you a whole bunch of Creative Commons um, free music to add in to it as well. And actually, you know, it's something that you know, people with quite limited video making skills can produce something that looks really professional. And so how I used it was at the college that I was working at at the time, we had this issue where the library staff um, was quite small. We weren't able to get out to every subject, every class in the college to be able to deliver information literacy skills. And so it meant that, you know, we only went to staff who asked us to come into the classes to go and deliver these skills. So some students would would leave college and, you know, they'd be quite well trained in how to research and reference um, and, you know, and use things like social media. And other students would have no training at all. Um, and then going into university, they were expected to kind of hit the ground running in terms of uni using those kind of things. And so we felt that they were a disadvantage and we wanted to go, OK, how can we level that playing field? Um, and so the idea that I came up with was that we created these videos um, and it was like a series of five videos over the course of their um, first academic year with us. And they were played in tutor groups. So rather than going through um, the subject groups, we went through the tutor groups. And this meant that every student in the whole college um, would at least get some basic training. So each of the videos was you know, covered a particular topic. So we did one on advanced internet searching, one on using social media for academic purposes, one on introducing referencing, one on evaluating sources and you know, seeking out fake news um, and, uh, and things like that. And so it meant, yeah, that all students then had at least a basic level of information literacy training um, via these videos. So rather than it being something that they went and sought out themselves, perhaps via YouTube, that was just kind of like a place to, to put the videos. And then actually the teachers played them in classes via you know the screens um, at front of the class. And it, so it was our kind of way of replacing, you know, not being able to split ourselves into, you know, a hundred different places and actually get, get to these classes. It meant that we could do that remotely. Um, and it also meant that then when we did go into subject classes, we then used sort of a flipped learning approach where we, we had this assumption that the students had watched the videos beforehand. And then rather than going back over that, we were able to build on it and do sort of practical activities um, in the classroom. You know, just as an aside, have you also explored using Facebook Live? Um, no, not in, not in that environment, no. But that was something that we thought about was, yeah, initially was could we – you know, be in the library and actually delivering a lecture across all of the classrooms. But the problem that we had with that was um, not all tutor um, sessions were at the same time. And so um, it was it was easier to actually record it um, beforehand and then this kind of product. Very interesting. <clears throat> That's really pretty neat. That's a great way to do it. Yeah, no, we were, I was really, really pleased with, with how went and, and how it worked out and obviously i'd say I've, I've i've left that job now but um it's quite nice that before i left uh i i promised that um i would finish my my series of videos so i did ended up doing i did it was two years ago i, I started that and so i did a whole series for first year students and then it was it was so successful and we got such great feedback from the students and staff that we did another um a uh, lot of videos for, for the second years building on those skills. Um, and so we were still due another two videos um, at the point I was about to leave. So I, I promised my manager before I left, I would finish those two videos. And so, um, you know, my, my voice was, was still there in the library, despite <laughs> the fact that, that I'd moved on. <laughs> that's, re that's really neat. 
And so uh, I love the next part of this. Um, you wrote another great article about podcast job therapy. And um, yeah, we know that doing this is a, is a great way to spread the word about cool things happening in library land. And you do learn how, how, a small, how small the world is. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us about what your thought process was about the concept of podcast job therapy, because we absolutely love it and uh, know, it, know it really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of two elements to it, I think. So partly it's you know actually listening to these podcasts, listening to, to the conversations that you guys have with the people that you have on. Um, and uh, also, I mentioned before, um, a UK podcast called Librarians with Lives. And, you know, and, and I got listening to that and listening to the people that, that Joe has on to there. Um, and as someone who's only ever worked in you know, academic libraries, you know, my view of the library world was very kind of small and insular. So listening to these, I got to learn about public libraries, about health libraries, law libraries, um, you know, all of these different kinds of, of branches of, of the information professional world. Um, and then um, I, I got a chance to, to be interviewed on the Librarians of Life podcast. So I went on to there. And so I think, you know, the thing that I talk about in, in the article was actually um, I'd been in, yeah, at that time I'd been in my job for, for 13 years almost. Um, I was starting to look around at moving on and trying to further my career uh, elsewhere. Um, and, you know, when I, when I recorded that interview, what I hadn't mentioned was I'd recently applied for a new job at that time. Hmm. Um, and I didn't get the job. But actually having done that interview, it really, talking about my work, talking about what I enjoyed about my work, really kind of made me go, actually, you know, this is a great job that you've got here. You know, appreciate that job. And it gave me a kind of a renewed kind of vigor and enthusiasm um, for my role, just, you know, being able to talk about what it was that I do, um, why I love that job, and, and actually telling someone else who was from outside of that sector and them going, actually, no, that's really interesting. I didn't know that about, you know, about college um, colleges and, you know, and that kind of side of education. And so, yeah, that actually made me yeah, that thing of making me appreciate my job. I think that was you know the kind of the therapy was that you know, when I didn't get that, that other job that I went for, um, I was like, well, it doesn't matter because you know, actually I've got this great job that, that I love doing um, and I'll continue doing that. Um, as it was, I then did get a new job um, a, couple of, a couple of months later. Um, but yeah, but, but still, um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's just great to be you know, people that should be talk about what it is that they do and to hear other people talking about, what they do in their libraries and seeing that commonality across all these different types of, of libraries and library jobs um, that there are and, and hearing that other people have the same issues um, that you do. You know, it makes the world a smaller place. And I think that's the, the big thing that, that social media in particular um, does is, you know, it brings that, brings that world together. You know, I can talk to you know people on the other side of the world as we're doing right now. It's so true. And it's, it's, it's very cathartic in a way because, you know, you can see whether you're in the UK, you're in Australia, you're in Austria, you're in Germany, you're in, I don't know, South Africa. And yeah. we all have the same struggles. I mean, a lot of it is funding, um, yeah. especially in public library sector. And if you're in, yeah. the, in the university sector, it's about the the slow pace of actually getting a, a project off the ground because it takes has to go through committee after committee and provost and president and yeah. chancellor and all these other places. And it's just, it, if nothing else, it's like a support group in a way, because you yeah. get to see that everybody's doing the same thing. And we're all, and at the end of the day, we're all trying to do that one thing, which is serve the user of the library. And, yeah. you know, funding is an issue. Technology is an issue. Trying to stay, and I don't like to use this term because I don't think it really applies anymore, like, because we've been, libraries have been evolving, um, that, that idea of relevancy, 
in the modern mm-hmm. world. And um, I think libraries have always adapted. And But yep. to hear that, you know, it's the same, it's really the same struggle no matter where you are in the world. And uh, um, was it Kate, Kate Byrne and Claire McKenzie and I'm forgetting the, the third librarian's name. They were all Australians and they came up with the International Librarians Network. Mm-hmm. And they had spoken to librarians from everywhere, China, Afghanistan, uh, other places in the Middle East and Europe. And, you know, they found out that everybody has the same struggles no matter yeah. where you are in the world because we're all doing, you know, we're doing the good work regardless of yeah. where you are in the world and regardless of the culture that you, you're part of. You know, we all are struggling with the same the same issues. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's, yeah and, and that's exactly what it's about. It's just, yeah, sometimes you, you can think, you know, you're banging your head against the wall and you're thinking, oh, I, don't, I don't know how to do this. And then, you know, you can use social media um, you know, to, to say, you know, put a thing out on Twitter and say, oh, I'm having this problem. Is anyone else, you know, come across this thing? And, and instantly you get a whole bunch of replies from people saying, oh, yeah, I had that. This is how I got around it. This is the solution that I came up with. And, yeah, it just makes you feel, yeah, like you say, you know, less alone. Um, you know, and, and that community that you find via social media is, yeah, I, I found it to be, you know, fantastically um, supportive. And when things like Twitter do get, you know, a bad press in terms of, you know, sort of trolls and, um some of the you know the kind of the hate speech that that, that goes on um, via it actually you know people need to be aware that that that's yeah that's perhaps you know a bit sensationalized that's the stuff that gets in the media because it, it you know it sells newspapers but but at the end of the day you know there is this brilliant supportive community that's there um, from a professional point of view um, that you know makes social media you know so brilliant well yeah I mean it and like you said it's sensationalized and a lot of times the media will grab onto the negative because the negative is the loudest and, yeah. and the good and, and the, the good work and the good stuff is kind of like the norm. So nobody wants to hear about the norm. They only want to hear about the exception. So that 10% of Twitter that's trolls and, and maybe, you know, um, politicians going after each other and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. it's, it's really, it doesn't do, Twitter serve it, you know, doesn't do the service that Twitter really provi- provides to everybody. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, speaking of social media, let's talk about LinkedIn because I feel like LinkedIn is kind of like, so you have Facebook and Twitter, which are the big one-two punch, right? And yeah. then you have Google Plus, which is kind of like, yeah, tree falling in the woods. Anybody there to hear it when it falls? <laughs> um, and then you have LinkedIn, which is arguably has more users than Facebook. It's mm. probably one of the, if not the biggest social media platform on the planet because of its niche of being a business job seeking kind of site. So, you know, it, you seem to be effective using it, but how effective do you think it is for people not looking for a job? Like as far as, you know, you know, professional development and that kind of thing, because people seem to write it off after they find a job, but it's really a great place to find additional resources, especially for professional development. Yeah, no, I, I think it's one of those things, whilst LinkedIn might have uh, you know, more users than Facebook, I'd be intrigued to know how many, you know, what the user, how often those people actually go on there and, and log in as opposed to something like Facebook. Whereas, you know, I, I know yeah, even as someone who uses LinkedIn fairly regularly and, and fairly actively, I certainly I'll go on to, to Facebook 
numerous times a day um, and, and and check and see what people are putting on there. LinkedIn, I'll go on once a day. Sometimes, yeah, it'll be a couple of days between me my kind of checking on there. Um, and so I, I think that perhaps is you know is, is something with it that people kind of treat it as something that well I've set up a profile on there um, you know I've told everybody what it is that I do a job hopefully someone might come on there and go oh this guy sounds great let's give him a job um, but that's that's <laughs> not how it works you need to be active on there and actually you know talk about what it is that you're doing and so that's you know I've tried to use the the article facility um, on LinkedIn to write about you know, my work, write about what it is that I enjoy in librarianship, write about my frustrations with librarianship as well and, and try and use it away as, as coming up with, with solutions. So, you know, for example, the, the, you know, the networking and conferences thing, um, you know, I, I wrote about on there. And, and I think that's something that's important, you know, with it. And actually, you know, it's a good way of, of because it is, you know, a professional thing, um, you, know, you weed out all of that rubbish that you've got to wade through um, on on Facebook and, and Twitter, where you know people are just talking um, ab about nonsense. People um, are, are much more considered about what they write about um, on on LinkedIn. Um, you know, generally you're, you're only going to follow people as well on there or connect with people who are within your profession. So it, it does make it easier in terms of you know when we talk about. You know, when I talk to students about trying to search for information, I say to them, you know, it's all about trying to find the, the smallest amount of uh, of small amount of information with the highest level of relevance to the subject that you're searching for. Um, and LinkedIn offers that because you know, you're searching within uh, a topic area that's massively relevant to to your own work area. And so the information that people provide in links to articles um, that perhaps they've written or perhaps they've read um, people are asking questions um, about about their work and it's a, it's a you know it's a really great way i think to um, to interact um, with like-minded professionals in a professional way it does make a lot of sense and i you know it's funny cuz sometimes i i have in flow with with linkedin sometimes i'll put stuff about the podcast on there and other times mm -hmm. I'm like oh is anybody really looking at it and then I realize, you know, I, I get all the alerts. And uh, yeah. so it really is something I need to focus a little bit more on because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's really some, there's some good stuff there. One of our colleagues, uh, Nick Tanzi, who's uh, an assistant director at the Massive Merchant Shirley Community Library here on Long Island in New York, um, he posts articles there all the time. And I was joking to him. I said, oh, I saw that I got a notification. You wrote another stupid article that nobody's going to read. <laughs> 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 and you know, then then he makes a, a joke about my library. I make a joke, joke about his library, and we call it a day. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it really but, is an yeah, effective tool. Yeah, no, and, and I, I connect it up with with my my, my Twitter. That yeah, you know, I'll, I'll write an article on LinkedIn. I'll share that then you know by Twitter in the same way that that I would you know if I had a, a blog. But I kind of feel that actually. Why would I have a, a blog that's separate that people might not find when I can use LinkedIn as a blog instead? Where I've already got this ready-made um, uh, sort of community of, of, of fellow information professionals who might be interested um, in, in what I'm writing about. Excellent. So so smart. Such a good idea. So we have to thank you for sharing all your experiences uh, with our listeners, and mm. uh, you know because we love doing the podcast, but it's really fun when we get you know when we can reach out to people in the profession beyond here in the states to get fresh perspectives on the profession. So thank you for, for wanting to join us today and no, uh, okay. taking the time to speak with us because I know there's a, a bit of a time difference between us right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not as bad as, as uh, Sydney, but you know, five no. hours isn't really too bad. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to ask Michael our top 10 library questions, or as we like to call it, the 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. 
And as always, we need to give credit where credit is due to our friend Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library in Middle Island, New York, for naming the list of questions that we ask all our guests. So we'll be right back. Okay, we are back with Michael Jones, who's going to be our next victim or participant in the 032 list. And the questions in the list are inspired by uh, the website Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. And you can see their work by listening, by listening, by viewing their website, lithub.com. Visit their site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So first question, what did you want to be when you were a child? Okay, so I've got a, a, a slightly long-winded kind of way to get to the answer to this. Um, but basically, uh, eight years ago when I turned 30, my wife threw a surprise party um, along with uh, for my, myself and my best mate. We both turned 30 within a couple of months. Ago. So the two wives threw a surprise party, and the theme of the party was, what did you want to be when you grew up? So my wife asked my parents. They, they went to them, and they said, you know, what, what did what did Michael want to be when he was a kid? You know, what, what was his dream of what he wanted to be? And instantly, without hesitation, my parents said to her, Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so we were at this party. Everyone else was dressed as doctors, teachers, pilots, footballers, all sorts of, you know, serious professions. And in the middle of it is me walking around dressed as Han Solo. And I was like, yes, my parents got me. <laughs> That's excellent. Han did shoot first, by the way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah. 100%. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? Um, so my mum insists that she used to take me to the library, to our local public library, to story time when I was a kid. I don't remember that at all. Um, what I do remember is when I started at, um, at senior school in the UK, which is uh, when you're about 12 years old, um, and that's the first point at which, you know, for us, we start getting given homework assignments and research assignments. And I remember in in art, um, our assignment each week was to to research a different artist and to come up with, you know, like a biography, short biography of that artist. And then we had to copy out um, our own version of one of their paintings. And so each week, my mum would take me up to um, the local public library and we'd go through the art books up there and I'd pick out um, an artist uh, and, you know, and learn about them at that way. Because, you know, this is, you know, when I was at college, this is uh, school, sorry, this is the, the days before the internet. Couldn't just easily go on Wikipedia and find that information. You know, we actually had to leave the house and go to the, the public library for that. <laughs> It's <laughs> fine. Okay, so uh, let's see. When did you decide to work in a library? And if not, uh, what was your first career path? Because many librarians and staff choose the profession as a second career. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I ever necessarily chose it. So after you know going to university, doing film studies, um, I, I never really had any intention of, of going into to film criticism or for you know say working in the film industry. So after uni, I ended up getting a full-time job in the job that I'd worked part-time at um, working in retail um, while I'd, I'd been at uni. So I did that for sort of four years and then an advert came up in the, in the local newspaper um, for a job at a li- as a library assistant at a local college. And I thought, yeah, libraries sounds like something that I could do. I, I could be kind of interested <laughs> in that. Um, so I went for the job. 
Um, and actually, I, I didn't get it. And that was a job at the college that I did end up working at. Um, I didn't get the job on that occasion. And so, but going to the, the interview and, and the experience of finding out a bit more about what libraries are about, especially college libraries are about, um, I actually thought, yeah, okay, this is something that I would be interested in doing. So I, I then started applying for, for more library jobs. Um, and again, didn't didn't got interviews, but didn't get them. And about six months later, another job came up at the same college that I'd first applied at. Um, and this time I went in um, and I did get the interview. They actually said to me, I was, oh, we're really glad that, that you, you have reapplied for this job because when you came six months ago, you know, it was between you and the other candidate and, you know, he sort of narrowly won out the job. Um, so, yeah, so I got the job there and that was where I um, ended up staying for, for 13 years and, you know, doing my master's and working my way up to um, eventually becoming assistant manager of that library um, before I moved on to, to my current job. So, yeah, I don't think there was ever necessarily a decision that librarianship was the career for me. It was kind of a thing, a thing of, yeah, I'll give this a go and see how it works out. And, yeah, thankfully it worked out pretty well. So you answered an ad in the newspaper. Yeah. Bob, Again, can can you imagine that, Bob? <laughs> can you imagine an ad in the newspaper for a library? Because everything here is either civil service or, like, you know, tied somehow to, to you know, like an internal network of, of, of or some, you know, thing like that. Yeah. Well, I think you know, now they would, you know, the the job section in, in the same, you know, it's a local newspaper for basically Southampton and, you know, in the surrounding area. Um and yeah, the job section in that used to be you know, sort of seven, eight pages every Thursday each week, and now it's maybe half a page. Um, you know, once a week, everything is is now you know online. And if you were you know looking for for a library position, you know, there's there's bespoke um, kind of email lists that that those kind of jobs go out via instead. Sure, that's more what we're used to over here too. Yeah, yeah. So, who would you say is your favorite fictional librarian? Okay, so when I was on the Librarians of Lives podcast, they asked a very similar question on there, and I chose Barbara Gordon or, or Batgirl. On Bravo! <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to go for that this time because I think, you know, I've already picked her on, on another podcast. Um, so instead, I'm going to go for the guy in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There's a bit when they're in Venice earlier at the start, and um, Indy's searching for the entrance to to the tomb. I think is it of, of one of the one of the knights that had guarded the the tomb of the, the Holy Grail, um, and he goes into a library and there's a giant X on the floor and he's like, ah, oh, X marks the spot, and he smashes through the middle of the X um, with with this uh, with, with one of those kind of like barrier holders, and there's a librarian who's doing some stamping at the same time, and his stamp you know goes in time with Indy's banging into the floor and he just gives his stamp a little look as if to say why is it making so much noise and yeah <laughs> I just always found that quite funny that moment so yeah so that guy he's he's going to be my uh my, my fictional librarian of choice that's cool <laughs> okay so what would you be doing if you were not working in a library well um I think my my when I was younger uh sort of you know maybe eight nine 10 11 um i always thought i wanted to be a sports journalist um i was obsessed with with football not you know, soccer not your football it's okay we get um, it it's okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh and and i just went yeah i thought well i you know, enjoy writing i enjoy you know playing football that i, I could write about football that'd be a, a great career but then as i got slightly older and realized quite how cutthroat the world of journalism is i was like yeah no that's that's not for me so i don't know maybe maybe that would have if i hadn't gone into librarianship maybe i'd given that another go um i've always fancied myself as a rock musician as well so yeah maybe maybe that might have worked out 
So what would you say your favorite section of the library is? Um, in terms of the the Dewey run, the 700s, because obviously, yeah, as, as someone who did film studies, you know, 791 um, in, in Dewey is, is film studies. That's that's kind of where, where I feel at home. And certainly, um, you know, with, with my new job and getting used to that. Um, oh, actually, what, what I didn't mention uh, earlier was my, my current job at University of Winchester. That's where I went to university. That's where I did my film studies degree. So that was you know, 20 years ago this September I started there. So I've gone, you know, kind of gone back um, and so, yeah, hanging out on the bottom floor in the, in the 790s um, in those first few weeks of my job, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm on familiar territory here, even though I don't necessarily know what, what I'm doing with my job yet and I'm finding my feet. Yeah, if I just pop down to here and just have a moment amongst amongst the film books, then, uh, <laughs> then I'm <good>. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's, you're familiar with the collection. I bet you you have that for a collection development area too, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 a, it's a really good collection there. And, you know, and it's... It's in practically exactly the same space um, as it was you know, when I was there you know, 20 years ago. And actually, um, recently, it was, uh, my wife and I, it was our anniversary. We've been together for, um, for for 17 years this year. We haven't been married quite that long, but we've been 17. And, um, and we always joke about how the first week of our relationship, um, she didn't actually see me because that was when I was writing my university dissertation. And so this year, when it came to anniversary, you know, this was the first time that I'd been back in that same place where yeah, essentially, I'd spent the first week of our of our relationship in in, the, in this particular corner of the library, um, writing my dissertation hurriedly last minute, um, surrounded by piles of film books. Um, and so, yeah, that that particular corner of of uh, of the library gives me a, a little smile when I walk past it. That's great. That's a great story. Lo- love story of the library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to the library? Um, I think it, my particular library that, that I work in at the moment, the one thing that I find frustrating, and I know the rest of the team do, is we don't have a teaching space in the library. Really? Um, so, no. So, if we want to do sessions for for students, we've got to go out and go elsewhere on campus. We've got to go to them as such, and then if we want to give them the tour of the library, we've then got to drag them all the way across campus, you know, back to the library. Um, to, to go around so you know just something as simple as building a teaching space but then you know perhaps a teaching space that also doubled up um as a screening room so film students could come in you know and they could explore our vast collection of dvds and they could sit and you know and they could watch you know those films uh, in the manner that they're meant to be watched you know on a, on a big screen and nice and loud you know so they get the cinematic experience it's a great answer chris <laughs> yeah that's really a good one so what would you say that you absolutely love about your library? Um, I, I think the, the the school resources section that I mentioned earlier, I, I absolutely love that the fact that we've got this this area that is basically it's a it's a school library um, in you know as a little kind of microcosm of the university library. So you've got all of these you know fancy pants, high fluting books in the rest of the library and these, these giant bound dusty old volumes, and then in my little corner we've got all of these kids books. And it and it's brilliant. And you know, we've got these puppets, and we've got you know, um, sets of bongos and things. It's it's quite funny actually. Our, our library is um, twenty four seven um, access. Uh, yeah, the library staff are only until sort of eight o'clock in the evening, and there's security staff at night. And the amount of times I come in in the morning into the school resources centre and find a set of bongos or um a tambourine or something that from from the music section of of the school resources center um on one of the tables and i'm like yeah clearly they've come in here they've been 
they'd been down the student union and had a couple of pints and they decided to come in the library afterwards for a bit of a bit of a bongo session <laughs> <laughs> okay so what is the not necessarily worst but weirdest thing that you've ever seen happen at your library um so in my my previous library in the college um the, the probably the weirdest but also just my my favorite and, and funniest thing that happened um was I, was I was sat down on the library desk one time and i got an email from my colleague who was sat at our upstairs desk and he said he said said mike he said come upstairs wander along the, the top have a look at the third table from the end he said but just give it a sly look and and try not to absolutely crack up and so i was like okay well, i don't know what he's on about so i went up the stairs and i walked along and when I got to the table and I looked down, there was a piece of paper on the table. And on the piece of paper, a student had drawn a pencil drawing of me and had just written, quiet, please, underneath. <laughs> and, and so it was, it was almost like, it's like, I guess it's like a badge of honor that, you know, that I then became, you know, this, this kind of this face of the library to, to the students. I guess that's obviously what they thought of me was um, this drawing. And so that I, I took that drawing off of the desk and um, it was then remained on my office wall for the entire time that I was there. And then when I left um, that job, as I said, two months ago, I took that that image and I blew it up um, to A3 size and I framed it and I gave it to the guys to hang up in the staff room as a, as a constant reminder of, uh, of of my time with them and uh, my, my, my desire for the students to be quiet. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> the ultimate compliment when you become a piece of art. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it kind of, yeah, it's like, oh, so the students do know me. <laughs> so do you have a copy of that? Can you make it available to us so we can put it on the website? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, you know, I, I could, yeah, it's, um, it's on my, my Twitter. I've tweeted it a few times, but yeah, I can, I've got a scan of it. I'll email it to you. Oh, that's awesome. That's mm. great. <laughs> We'd love to put up pictures with the episode, right, Chris? We'd yeah, sure. Any, any links and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's a pretty good likeness. <laughs> <laughs> so who would you say is your favorite regular patron? Um, obviously, in, in my current job, I'm only two months in, so I, I don't think I've really. Had, yeah, I'm not sure I've even become aware of anyone who's regular yet. I'm letting her have a favourite. Um, but in in my previous job, um, obviously, we'd have a turnover of students every two years. But so you'd kind of you wouldn't necessarily get to know too many students that well. But we did have one particular student who, from from the get go, in fact, even before he came to college on his um kind of open day he got brought in um by a member of our learning support um team there um he had asperger's and was really interested in libraries and he'd he'd volunteered at the library um at his school and was interested in volunteering um with us in our library and we didn't really have a volunteering program at that point for students um but we said yeah okay we'll give that a go and so he, he did he's come in and volunteer for an hour and a half uh each week in the library and yeah, over those two years, it was we really got to, to know him well. He had a, a brilliant sense of humour. Um, he had a real interest in, in graphic novels, um, which, which I shared um, with him, um, and so I actually did, did the library manager. Um, and and so between the three of us, yeah, we, we developed the, this, this brilliant kind of graphic novel collection um, at the college. Um, he actually set up a, a graphic novel club for our students that we supported him with. Um, and so there was this, this whole group of students who used to every lunchtime come into the library and they'd all be sat there reading comics, but they never spoke to each other. So 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 myself and him, you know, set up this 
this this this group. So um, once a week on a Tuesday lunchtime, we gave them. There's a, we had a, a sort of a classroom space in the library, and that was theirs. And actually, you know, they started talking to each other. And so these kids who'd been sat, you know, dispersed on their own throughout the library, suddenly became friends um, through their their mutual love of graphic novels. And so yeah, he was great to work with and to watch him develop. Um, throughout its time and actually when I left my post two months ago um, and they were um, worried about you know what was going to happen in the interim between me leaving and them actually employing a replacement for me they're like okay we're going to be a member of staff down you know this is a team of, of five people so being one member of staff down that actually makes quite a dent um, and actually this student I'd recently reconnected with him via LinkedIn um, he sent me a, a connection request on there um, and I, so I chatted to him on there and it turns out that he was out of work at the time and he's looking to get into libraries. So I went into to college, said to my manager, I said, oh, said, Matthew's looking for uh, um, some library work at the moment. Why don't you get him in to, to cover um, between you know, me leaving and the new person starting? And so that's what happened. And so he's now had that experience of working in the library that he can now use if he wants to go on and apply for other library jobs or, or go on to um, to do a you know library qualification um, of some kind. So yeah, so he was he was great to work with, and yeah, you know, I'm absolutely chuffed that he's now you know pursuing librarianship as a as a career. Also, wow, that's a great story. Yeah, and and again, the power of social media. Yeah, you know, if he hadn't connected with me via LinkedIn, then I would have had no way of contacting him and yeah, you know, and saying hey, there's, there's a job coming up or an opportunity coming up if you want it. That's really great. Yeah. Okay, here's our last question, and. Okay. It kind of fits more towards the public, li- public libraries because it has to do with the library card. But, I mean, it fits mm-hmm. to, to u- universities as well. What are people without library cards missing out on? So what are they what, – if they don't come to the library, what are they missing out on? Um, I, I think it's that expertise, isn't it, that, that the library staff bring. Um, it's, it's those skills. I think you know, people would say, oh, I don't need to come to the library now. Everything's online. But actually, you know, my response to that would be, well, do you know how to how to effectively use those online tools? Do you know how to search? Do you know how to create a search strategy? Do you know how to, you know, um, come up with, you know, with, with keywords? Do you know how to evaluate that information to make sure it's actually it's valid and reliable? Um, do you know how to share that information? Do you know how to reference it correctly? Um, that's those kind of you know, those, those kind of skills, those training that the librarian you know, and the, the library team can provide. Um, to students that you wouldn't necessarily you know get if you just sit at home and try and access everything um, remotely so I think that that would be what people are missing out on and certainly there's been a lot of um, in the UK in particular in, in public libraries um, the the current government has tried to replace qualified librarians um, with, with volunteers um, in libraries and so actually there's been a lot of talk about how um, yeah actually that's that's devaluing librarianship and it's not appreciating what qualified librarians bring to a library um yeah they they just kind of think well you know people just coming in just to to borrow books and anyone can do that but actually you know there's so much more that an information professional can provide to library users um than just you know recommending the latest fiction book um it's all of those kind of actual you know life skills um in terms of of researching um as well Okay, so we want to, you know, say thank you for being such a good sport and answering our our silly little list of questions. Um, and it was really awesome having you on the podcast. Uh, it's always thank nice you. to hear that perspective, not just from academia, but from academia on the other side of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you give us some of your plugs? Tell us about Twitter and anything else you want to promote. 
Um, so yeah, so I'm on um, Twitter at that library man, um, which was something that the name came out of. Um, quite often, if I was out and about, students at college never knew my name. They'd be like, "Hey, here's that library guy." Or, hey, library dude. No one ever, no one ever knew what my name was. And so yeah, so that's at, um, at that library man on on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well, obviously. Um, I guess if you search for Michael Jones in, in Winchester, um, you should be able to uh, find me. Um, on there and you can check out on there um some of the you know, some of the articles that, that we've spoken about um uh, on, on the podcast today excellent thank you so much for coming on this is a lot of fun thank you no thanks for having me yeah it's, it's been it's been great chatting with you yes yeah, this is a fun time hmm. okay so that's all the time we have for this edition and if you have any questions or comments on our show, please go to the contact us section of the website, thelibrarypros.com. We'll also include links and photos, and hopefully that drawing of Michael um, <laughs> is from this podcast and all of the episodes that we have on our site. Uh, and also check us out on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. And please don't forget to subscribe to our RSS feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, everywhere you get your podcasts. So... Please consider leaving a review and tell your friends. And remember the opinions stated by the library pros are those of Chris and Bob, not at the Station Library or the M.S. Clark Memorial Library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. <laughs>